I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, January 20th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, health experts see a post-holiday surge in COVID-19 cases. Then poison control reports arise in marijuana-related calls. Plus, the mayor of Pickens is part of a conference in D.C. She shares more on leading a small town in the state. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Cases of COVID-19 are ticking back up in Mississippi, roughly 50% in the past two weeks. That's according to the We Can Do This public education campaign. Though rates of infection and hospitalization still remain well below their levels from this time last year, Dr. Neva Keeley is an associate professor of infectious diseases at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. She tells our Lacey Alexander there are a number of factors that led to this recent We usually do see a rise in any respiratory viral infection during this season uh, just because of the cold weather, but also uh, holiday season where there is gathering of family around. uh, So there there is more opportunities for transmission. And uh, COVID cases just started rising. I think it's because of the Uh, not just the holiday season with close contact with family members, but it's also because of we have not been following all the uh, recommended prevention measures which were in place the previous two seasons uh, where we were masking, trying to avoid large indoor gatherings, social distancing, testing. Uh, There have been less testing being performed, especially if you have just uh, runny nose or if you are just having flu-like illness, it's been getting uh, kind of uh, ignored into probably flu or some other respiratory viral illnesses. And uh, because of those uh, lack of these measures, uh, we have seen that the spread of COVID-19 has occurred uh, and uh, we have seen a rise in number of cases, uh, which uh, is kind of quite expected at this moment. The state also ranks third in the country for lowest rates of COVID vaccination. Why, what about Mississippi? Why do you think Mississippians are so reluctant to get vaccinated? 
Yeah, I think it's a kind of a complex situation. Also, a lot of challenges, uh, uh, which have resulted in a low vaccination rate, more population in poverty, uh, the social and racial disparities. So there are a lot of barriers in place to begin with. So uh, there is some amount of uh, vaccine apathy. So basically, there are like bigger life challenges for people to. overcome uh, as compared to uh, worrying about vaccination in their mind uh, there are there is also inadequate healthcare access where uh, more uh, people because of uh, being uninsured and not being on medicaid uh, media influence resulting in misinformation a vaccine hesitancy uh, and uh, just denial that oh i don't get so all these things have really factored in and uh, resulted in uh, poor vaccination uh, within our uh, state and health professionals are really urging people to take precautions to protect themselves and their loved ones can you explain to us what those precautions are are they the typical mask vaccine distance protocol we've been hearing for 2 years now or are professionals suggesting anything additional or different to protect yourself from covid so the protection measures have been the same uh, i know that we are uh, 3 years into this pandemic and it can get really tiresome but if we continue to follow the same protection measures as we did for the last 2 years we should be able to protect ourselves as well as our family members and loved ones uh, vaccination again is extremely important it helps to reduce um, severity of illness hospitalization and deaths uh, there is bivalent booster vaccine which is available which targets not only the old uh, you know, covid sars cov2 virus which was circulating but the current omicron uh, sub variants which are circulating around and helps to protect against this infection so we are urging you know, people who have not uh receive their updated booster to go ahead and receive the booster vaccination uh and most importantly testing is very important even if you have mild symptoms you need to get tested so that we know that uh, uh you have uh, you will know that you have infection and you can take measures to isolate yourself and protect your uh, loved ones as well as your community Uh, from uh, spreading the virus. You talked a little bit about Omicron. Talk to me about these recent variants. What has changed as the virus has mutated? How are the symptoms, the death rate, etc.? How is all of that different as we see new variants come to light? Right. So Omicron variant, we, uh, the first time uh, when we saw the surge was last winter. uh and since then it has been the sub variants of omicron which have been circulating around because of mutations so the current one uh, we are seeing uh, based on the latest news is xbb uh, 1.1 uh, what has changed in the previous in the last one year is that we are seeing that omicron uh, sub variants remain extremely contagious so uh, you can still uh, have a uh, with a uh, close contact uh, 15 minutes or longer uh, without wearing mask without social distancing 
you are at a, a high risk of potentially acquiring this uh, virus. Uh, uh, what has been seen uh, so far is that a severity of infection has not been as high as uh, other variants like Delta variant, uh, where patients had high mortality. However, the severity does remain high for those who might not have uh, received booster vaccinations and are at high risk. Dr. Navakale, Associate Professor of Infectious Diseases at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Coming up, poison control reports arise in marijuana-related calls. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. From children's education to gripping drama, documentaries to comedy, MPB Television brings the world to Mississippi. With local stories, cooking, health, and music, MPB Television takes Mississippi to the world. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. A new study in the Journal of Pediatrics finds a huge spike in children eating candy with marijuana in them, mostly among those five and younger. While most suffered mild symptoms, about one in five were hospitalized. In Mississippi, the Poison Control Center is receiving more calls regarding unintentional consumption of marijuana. They received 36 calls last year compared to a mere two in 2019. Of the 36, 17 were under the age of 19. Jenna Davis is with the Poison Control Center at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. She explains the rising trend. So a lot of that could come from other neighboring states legalizing um, medical marijuana or um, recreational marijuana. Some of it comes in that way. Um, But uh, some of the stuff that we're seeing is not related to the legalization, um, and it's products that contain THC, which is the psychoactive ingredient in marijuana, um, products that you can get at convenience stores and online. So that's also contributing to the increase in those cases. And what kind of complaints do kids have when they get sick from eating candy lace with marijuana? So the number one thing that we're seeing is drowsiness um, or lethargy. They become confused or very agitated, um, and oftentimes they're throwing up. Those are the primary things that we see. Um, Some of the more serious things um, that are more rare and often associated with either um, large, large doses or an underlying medical condition um, can be respiratory depression, so um, shallow breathing or difficulty breathing, and seizures. And, you know, the ones that I mentioned, uh, the convenience store products, those actually are legal. It's not... It's a kind of a loop. It's a loophole, I guess. Um, but those are legal products. Um, and but the you know obviously bringing in medical marijuana or recreational marijuana from outside of the state would be illegal. But yes, they um, are very frantic. Oftentimes, the parents that we speak to, um, you know, they never intended for their kid to get a hold of it. How are they getting a hold of it? Are the, where are the parents keeping it that the kids get to it? Right. And I think that's a lot of the, so kids, um, so when we say edibles, 
it's, you know, brownies, cookies, candies, gummies, drinks, any things like that that are infused or laced with the THC that's just, you know, the euphoric component of marijuana. And all the, and kids, those are things that kids are attracted to anyway. Um, but to make matters worse, many of those packages, especially some of these that you can get online and stuff, mimic actual candy. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen them, but there's dope ropes that look just like nerd ropes, um, candy bears or gummy bears. Um, there's even something called a stoner patch dummies that looks just like a sour patch gummy. Um, and they have, sometimes they have marijuana leaves on the packages or they may say THC on the bags, but young kids don't read. Um, little kids don't read and even older kids may not notice some of those indicators um, and all they see is candy that looks like their favorite candy. And we know kids, right? They don't stop at just one. They're going to eat the whole bag. Um, so that could be huge doses of THC. Um, so that you asked how they, how they leave them out. It varies. Um, and that's kind of what we're trying to, to figure out and how we can help prevent some of it and educate the public because it, it does vary. Um, but we really suggest that parents treat it like a, a medication. So keep them up and out of sight from the children. Um, if you're taking some over to a friend or family member's house, make sure that you keep them stored safely. So really just making sure that kids don't see it and just keeping it out of their reach. I was looking at um, some information here. The American Academy of Pediatrics this month reported nationwide that the percentage increase in children consuming edibles is 1,375%. That's enormous. How many calls have you gotten? Um, we, let's see, last year we only, we got 36. Now that may not seem a lot, a large number, but in comparison to prior years, let's see, I think it was 2018 or 19, we only had two calls. So from two to 36, that's a pretty significant increase. And I believe, what is it, January 19th today, but we've already had seven calls, I believe, this year. So we're kind of looking to track way higher than that this year. The kids, not only are they eating what a normal dose may be for an adult, and the adult knows what the normal dose is usually, um, but the kids are eating a bunch of them, so multiple doses. The dispensaries are due to open this year. Will we be seeing more cases of this, you think? I think it's going to slowly trickle down. Um, I know, you know, we're we're doing the uh, or we're legalizing medical marijuana here in Mississippi, uh, and I know that the Department of Health is working to make sure that those who receive those cards have those underlying or qualifying medical conditions. So I think we're going to see a trickle down effect of it. Um, I know when recreational marijuana gets legalized, that's usually when states see the huge spike. Um, But we definitely will see an increase in calls. I think it's going to be a slow or a gradual uphill instead of just a sharp rise as soon as because, you know, dispensaries will open at different times. People take a while to get their cards and and go get their, their medical marijuana and things like that. But I think if they can store them safely and be, um, diligent on that, I think we could cut some of that down from the kids. When someone calls into the Poison Control Center, what do you tell them? 
Um, it depends. We usually, in this case with any call, um, everything's confidential. So a lot of people are really reluctant to give us information for fear of the repercussions of that. Um, like you said, um, if it's medical, you know, right now it's illegal in, so, in some form or fashion. Um, so people are very reluctant sometimes. Um, but our, the information they give us is confidential, and we basically start out collecting some, some data on um, maybe the age of the child, the, the weight of the child, how much maybe they thought they took or they having symptoms, how long ago was it, and try to collect all that information to make a uh, proper recommendation on what they need to do. Um, usually these kids, if they're very uh, symptomatic or having some of the, you know, moderate to severe symptoms, we always recommend that they go to the emergency room for observation um, just because they can have some of that, you know, more, they are at risk for some of those other rarer, um, more serious side effects. All right. Well, Jenna Davis, Managing Director of the Poison Control Center at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, thank you so much for providing this important information. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for having me. And if anybody needs us for anything at the Poison Center, you can always call the 1-800-222-1222 number, and that's the Poison Control Center. That's a national number. And depending on where you live or your cell phone, it will route you to your local Poison Center. Coming up, the mayor of Pickens is part of the mayor's conference in D.C. She shares more on leading a small town in Mississippi. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. When you look at your vehicle, think of MPB. Need to get rid of your ride? Donate it by calling 877-MPB-4-CAR. Need to have some work done on your truck? Listen to AutoCorrect Thursdays at 10, Saturdays at 11. An MPB license plate reminds you that MPB is with you wherever you go. Go to your county office and ask for an MPB car tag. MPB and cars, better together. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The United States Conference of Mayors wraps up today in Washington. Eleven Mississippi mayors were part of the delegation at the three-day event, one of whom is Paulette Moore-Jones, the mayor of Pickens and Holmes County. She is the only woman representing Mississippi cities and the only one leading a town of less than 20,000. She shares more with us on her D.C. experience in managing a small town in the Magnolia State. We're actually about 1,300 people in my town, um, and that's still small. However, um, we still have our challenges. We still have our issues. Um, I think um, one good aspect is that everyone else knows everyone, um, and it's more of a family type of a situation where, you know, um, it's a more of a close-knit community. And so, um, you know, but like I said, it still has its challenges. We're small, but um, some of the things that we have to work on are big, big issues. How does this conference help you? The, the connection, the networking. I've met some you know, tremendous, dynamic individuals that I very much so look forward to establishing relationships with from now on. Um, being a new mayor, it's helped out a lot in forging relationships with um, with 
you know, people to be able to help whenever I need something because, like, it's been a small town, and then we're, we're first of all, we're a small town with a lack of funding. We can we need a lot of things, and when we can't get them, um, I can get on the phone and make a phone call. And it's been very helpful to have people that I know that I can call on that have the resources that I don't have in my town. And so that's helped us out a lot, a lot. I've been here and met some people that are helping me out as we speak. It's, it's, it's amazing. The opportunity to come here to um, the mayor's conference has been absolutely fabulous. I look forward to coming again. I um, missed it last year, but I won't be missing it again. It's well worth the money to come out as a small town. I've found a lot of um, great help and good um, sessions that I've sat in on for, you know, advice in how to do things in the future and how to get some help for um, that we need in Pickens. So it's, it's been great. What are some of the challenges you face? Uh, well, some of the challenges I face as mayor of my town is getting the funding um, because of, you know, um, previous administration not doing some of the things that they needed to do. And so now I have to, you know, pick up that ball and, and fulfill some of the needs um, so I can so I can um, have access to the funding that's out there. There's so much money out there, but you can't necessarily get it unless you have all of your financials in order. And so having to clean that up has been um, a challenge, but we're working on it. And what are the needs, um, some of the needs, for example? Oh, gosh, our needs are great. As a matter of fact, um, I can first start off and say we, we, we need a grocery store. Um, that's one of the first things. If anybody lives there, they will tell you, and they ask me, when are we going to get our grocery store? So it's not easy, um, and I need to bring up the population. So in order for me to get a grocery store, I have to do something to do that, and we need more housing. And so that's one of the things we're going to do is is build a subdivision to bring in more people. Now, our other needs are we need to fix our our water and sewer um, our streets are in major disrepair. We need to build the town back up so we can um, actually have a place to put businesses. We need more, you know, physical, more brick-and-mortar um, buildings. We need um, more access to, um, you know, vehicles. Um, that type of thing for my public works department, for my police officers. I'm working on that right now. Um, just um, overall, we need a lot of things in in my town, and I'm actually here to meet with EPA also to help with securing some of the funding to help um, to fit the bill, which is about $20 million dollars. So with the population that you have, the taxpayer amount coming in is pretty low? Um, Our taxes do run. They're not as – they've gone up, actually. They've gone up. And we have um, more um, individuals who file homestead. So I have a lot of individuals on disability or, or retired so, you know, the bulk of 
the people that live there don't pay taxes for their homes. We have a small number of individuals my age and younger that, you know, foot the taxes, and we don't have a, we only have one business there. And I'm working on that also to bring in businesses to help, you know, increase our tax base from that standpoint. Mayor Moore of Pickens, thank you so much for your time and speaking with us. Thank you. This has been Mississippi Edition, MPB Think Radio.